man to show up to the meeting was not a deacon. And the preacher said, I'm sorry, sir, but you may have misunderstood. Uh, this is a meeting of the deacon board. And the man said, I know, but after that sermon, if there's anybody more bored than me, I want to meet him. <laughs> wow. You know, one of the largest churches in America, the Willow Creek Community Church, conducted a door-to-door -door survey where they asked one question and one question only. And that question was this. If you don't go to church, why? And they published five major reasons why most people think they don't go to church. One, they say it's boring. Two, they say that it's irrelevant. Three, they say that the church asks for money all the time. Four, they say, I'm too busy already. And five, they say, church makes me feel awkward. Boring. The sad truth about many church services are, is that they're boring. I don't think that church services are, ought to be a carnival show, but I certainly don't think that church services ought to be boring either. The Willow Creek survey also discovered that most people thought that church services were irrelevant, meaning that the services didn't really relate to the everyday lives of people that were coming. But I say, you know, this book that I hold all the time, it's a book about how to live. This book is a book about how to get the most out of this life you're living. And I believe that people need help, the, the kind of help that only this book can bring. I believe that people need to be built up, not torn down. I pray that I always teach the Bible in a way that blesses people and not beats them up. I pray that, uh, that the way I preach helps people and blesses people, not discourages people. Now, the Willow Creek survey also discovered that most people thought that churches were always asking for money. Well, we understand as believers here that giving in generosity uh, in Jesus' name uh, is a form of worship. That's the only reason we do it, is it's a form of worship. And we never want to seem as if money is important to us. Because it's not. Money is only a means to an end. And the end is this. We want people to hear the good news about Jesus. We want people to be ministered to. We want to minister to people who are struggling in life. And yes, that may require resources from time to time. Now, Willow Creek also found that many people said the reason that they didn't go to church was because they didn't have time. Well, all I can really say about this, about that, is this. Uh, you're really not going to have time to die either. But you're going to. Amen? And the only way that we can prepare for death is to believe in Christ, to follow Christ, and to give our life to Christ 
And I believe that the best way to do that is to connect with a local Bible-believing church. And so, friend, we have to be concerned about how we are portrayed in our community. What is our image to this area? I mean, just like every human being has an image, what is our image? Is it uh, an image that's kind and loving like Jesus? Does Bethel have an image that's outgoing and selfless like Jesus? Or are we inward and selfish like the world? What is our image? Do we exist to live for others? Or are we in existence for ourselves? What is our image? Is it a good image? From the book of 1 Thessalonians, I want us to get an idea today about what the image of Bethel Baptist Church should be. And I'm going to give you a hint. It's all about reaching more people for Christ. Amen? So the first image that I see in 1 Thessalonians that should be our image as well is we should be a center for the gospel testimony. A center of gospel testimony. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, the Bible says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy, with the Holy Spirit. So that you became examples. Well, that's what the church ought to be, amen? You became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. For from you, listen carefully, from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith, your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't even need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We should be a center of gospel testimony. The Lord's message sounded out. It sounded forth from this church in Thessalonica. Now, I read an uh, a illustration about a certain preacher who never prepared his sermon during the course of the week. And on Sunday morning, while the church was singing its hymns, he would desperately pray to God, Lord, give me a message. Lord, give me a message. Well, one Sunday, while he was desperately praying... God's message, he, he heard the Lord say, Ralph, here's my message. You're lazy. You're lazy. Friends, I pray that you know that despite all my faults, and there are many, you should never be concerned about me being lazy when it comes to preparing a sermon. None of us should be lazy when it comes to sounding forth the word of the Lord. Uh, that is what we're called to do. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Harold St. John said it this way. He said, the chief business of every Christian 
in the world today is to tell other people what you got. That's your calling as a believer. To tell other people what you have. No age, no gender, no prominence, no position will allow you to escape that calling. We're all called to do it. If you bear the name Christian in any shape, form, or fashion, it's your business in this world to preach the gospel to every creature. That's the call of the scripture on your life. Your job, your business is to tell other people that Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He is the only, say only. He's the only savior in the world. The only savior of the world. His death on the cross saves us from the penalty of sin. And listen, the world needs to hear that today. The world needs to know that Jesus is the only Savior we have. Evangelizing, witnessing, testifying, sounding forth the word of the Lord, whatever you want to call it, is the primary function of the church. That should be our primary image. It should be our major work. It should be our major goal. But what is the image? Of Bethel Baptist Church. Is it a center for gospel testimony? Let's be sounding forth the Lord's message every chance we get. They need what you got. Y'all hearing that? Folks outside these walls need what you have. And they're dependent on you to tell them about it. But there's another image I want to bring your attention to. In 1 Thessalonians, we also learn that the church is a nursery for spiritual babes. That's right. We're a nursery for spiritual babes. In chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, in verse 7, Paul said to those believers, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately, longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. For laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. Y'all hear that? You are witnesses and God also of how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children that you should walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Friends, we ought to be a nursery for spiritual babes. One baby cried nonstop for the first 15 minutes of a preacher's message. Finally, mom got up, was going to take her baby out of the service, and the minister said, ma'am, listen, there's no need for you to leave. That baby is not disturbing me one bit. And the mom said, well, he's crying because you're disturbing him. Amen? Well... Uh, I also heard it said that a preacher's job was to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> I know what they're saying in that, in that quote, 
But I believe that every one of us, myself included, should be in the business of caring for people, no matter how spiritually mature they are or how spiritually immature they are. We are to care for them. Paul said, we were gentle among you like a mom caring for her children. Man, I get that picture and I think, you know, moms are great. Moms are so great when it comes to caring for their little children. They demonstrate lots of love. They demonstrate lots of patience most of the time. They demonstrate lots of understanding. And you know what? As a body of Christ, as a nursery for spiritual babes, we also ought to do the same in the church. Be loving and patient and understanding. Friend, there will always be spiritual babes in the church. Always. Some of these babies will make you sad, and some of those babies will make you mad. Some of those babies have been Christians for a long time. But still, they have need of special care and also special handling. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul said, We urge you, brothers, to warn those who are idle. Y'all hear that? We ought to warn those who are idle, who are unwilling to serve the Lord, who are unwilling to share this gospel message, who are unwilling to tell others what you got. We ought to warn them. We also ought to be willing to encourage the timid. Those that are not quite there yet, they need encouragement. We also ought to help the weak. There might be those that are spiritually weak and they need your help. They're also, he said, we ought to be patient with everybody. You know what? Everybody might not be at the same spiritual plane that you are right now. They may be down here. And maybe they're looking to you to encourage them and build them up and help them get to where you are. We're all at different levels. We're all at different planes in our spiritual walk. And we depend upon one another. Impatience will hinder somebody's spiritual progress. You want to you make somebody stop in their spiritual progress? Just be impatient with them. But patience, friend, always pays off. It always pays off. So we have to learn to be patient with everybody, no matter where they are in their walk with Christ. We need to be patient with everybody in the church. Is this the image of Bethel Baptist Church? Are we a nursery? For spiritual babes, loving them and understanding and being patient with them. I pray that we are. But there's a third image I want to share with you this morning. And that is, we are a family circle where love reigns. A church is a family circle where love reigns. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 11, uh, let me back up to verse 9. Uh, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are, listen to this, taught by God to love one another. Taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, you're not done yet. We urge you, brethren, increase more and more. Learn more and more. You're never going to reach this high pinnacle where you know everything about God. Amen? Where you know everything about life. So you need to increase more and more that you may aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Amen? You ever know somebody like that? Mind your own business. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly. Walk properly toward those who are outside, that you 
may be lacking nothing. We should be a family circle. You know what? The Lord's church should be a family. And in a family, a spirit of love should reign supreme. A spirit of love should be in our family. Robert Orban said, who can ever forget Winston Churchill's immortal words? He said, we ought to fight on the beaches. We ought to fight in the landing grounds. We ought to fight in the fields. We ought to fight in the streets. That sounds a lot like my family vacation. Yeah. Amen. You know, sometimes we fight. Sometimes we don't get along. From time to time, husbands and wives don't get along well. Sometimes families just don't get along well. They fight and they feud, they fume and they fester. Sometimes they just don't get along well. And that's okay. But the Bible teaches that the main reason for that problem is this. You're being selfish. The main problem, the main cause of these, these feuds and these arguments and this quarreling is because you're being selfish. James chapter 4 says it. What is causing these quarrels and fights among you? They, do they not come from the evil desires that war within your body? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and fight to get it? That's pretty much the gist, isn't it? If you boil it all the way, the problem is, is that we're being selfish. Amen? So there's a lot of times we, we want our way, we don't get it, and if we don't get it, what are we going to do? We're going to get mad. Amen? Happens all the time. But it doesn't have to be that way. The church ought to be a family. A family where love reigns supreme. But it will not happen by itself. It will not happen without work. Demonstrating love requires effort. Did you hear that, church? Demonstrating love requires effort. How do you know, Bill? Well, just think of Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. What a demonstration of love. You think it took God a little bit of effort to say, okay, I'm going to let my only begotten son die for these miserable sinners here on earth? I'd say that took a little bit of work. It'd take me a lot of work, amen? Think it took a little bit of effort to demonstrate that kind of love? To allow your son to be tortured and murdered on a cross? That'd be a little tough. But we have to work at loving people. We need to practice it. Practice loving people in the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 says, be imitators of God. God did it. You do what God did. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. You know, I read about a lady who married into this family who hardly showed any affection whatsoever. There were no hugs. There were no I love you's. The father-in-law was one of those absolutely no affectionate type. And she was determined that she was going to change that in him. And you want to know what she did? She began to hug him every single time she saw him. And whenever she left his presence, she always said to her father-in-law, I love you. Now, that new father-in-law was not affectionate whatsoever. No forms of affection at all. But she persevered. She persevered to give him hugs. And she persevered to keep telling him that she loved him. Now, he expects a hug. Now, he says, I love you, before she can say, I love you. What's your point, Bill? 
Hugs beget hugs. I love yous beget I love yous. Love begets love. And the church should be a family circle with lots of hugs and lots of love. Is this the image of Bethel Baptist Church? Are we a family where love reigns? If there's one image I think that we do adhere to, I think it's this one. We are a family where love reigns. But the final image that I want to share with you this morning is that we ought to be a school for spiritual development. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 9, uh, the Bible says, But concerning brotherly love, uh, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. To love one another. One young boy approached his dad and said, Dad, uh, why does the wind blow? To which the father said, Son, I just don't know. And the boy said, well, Dad, where do clouds come from? And the dad said, well, I don't really know, son. And then the boy said, well, what makes a rainbow? And the dad said, well, I'm not really sure, son. And he said, well, Dad, do you mind me asking you all these questions? And he said, not at all, son. How else are you going to learn? <laughs> not much. Amen. Sometimes we just got to admit, hey, we don't know it all. What's wrong with saying, I don't know? Amen? Uh, we should admit, uh, at least, that we don't have all the answers. There's a lot of questions that are going to hit your children's lives that you'll be unable to answer. I wish we knew the answers, but we don't. However, we also know that life is a learning process. Life is a learning process. From the very first day we're born, we begin to learn. And hopefully, we never stop learning. Life is a learning process, and parents are intricately involved in this process. However, there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time when that parent doesn't have all the answers, and that's when the Word of God is going to come in. See, humans are somewhat limited in their knowledge, but God is completely unlimited in His knowledge. And the church should be a school for spiritual development. You heard what he said. Now about brotherly love, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God. Taught by God how to love each other. You've been taught by God. All you need is to be taught by God about love. All you need is to be taught by God about everything in life. Why? Because he's got all the answers. He's got all the answers to life's questions. You know, one of our CIA memory verses, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's helpful to teach us. Wow, really? Wow. Scripture is given to us so that every believer, every believer can be thoroughly equipped for this life. For this life. I read about one lady who uh, said that her doctor had suggested that she had surgery and referred her to a specialist. 
So she arrived early the next day at that doctor's office and the door was unlocked and she opened the door and found this young surgeon sitting there deeply engrossed reading a book behind the receptionist desk. When he didn't hear her, she kind of cleared her throat. <clears throat> and he immediately was kind of shocked a little bit and he closed this book that she recognized was a Bible. And she asked him, does reading the Bible help you before or after the operation? To which the doctor in a very comforting way said, during. The word of God helped him during the operation. I want to tell you that reading the word of God, friend, will help you during life's operations. The Word of God will help you during life's ups and downs. The Word of God will help you during life's difficulties. The Word of God will help you during life's good times. We need to know that this is the Word of God. That this Bible is the Word of God. And what does the Bible tell us? What does the Bible tell us? Everything we need to know. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. And that's why the church ought to be a center, a school for spiritual development. This book is the only book you will ever hear me preach from. It makes it very easy for me. I only have to preach out of one book. And I praise the Lord for that. But you know what? Small group Bible study is also a must. You get things from a life group that you may never get from a sermon. You're going to get the opinions of others. You're going to get the ideas of others. You're going to get encouragement from others. You're going to learn about the experiences of others. You're going to learn from brothers and sisters who have been where you are. They've been where you've gone through. And I think this is vitally important. You'll also hear their stories. You're, you'll hear about their struggles. You'll hear about their successes. See, we learn from one another. And if you're missing out on that, you're missing out on a vitally important part of your Bible study. I want to encourage you to be a part of a life group because the church is and should be a learning place. A place where we learn. Is this the image of Bethel Baptist Church? I pray that it is. Is this church a school for spiritual growth? Is it a school for spiritual development? It should be. I pray that it is, and I do believe that it is. You know, someone well said, what power the church would have if only the sleeping folk would wake up. If only the lukewarm folk would fire up. If only the dishonest folk would fess up. If only the disgruntled folk would sweeten up. If only the discouraged folk would cheer up. What power the church would have if the divided folk would make up. If the gossipers would shut up. If the true soldiers would stand up. If the church members would pray up. And if all those who were in debt would pay up. Amen. You know, all of us can do something. To make the Lord's church what he wants it to be. I believe we need to do everything in our power 
to make Bethel Baptist Church what Jesus wants it to be. What does he want it to be? He wants it to be a center for gospel testimony. He wants it to be a nursery for spiritual babies. He wants it to be a family circle where love reigns supreme. And friends, he wants it to be a school. A school for spiritual growth. A school for spiritual development. So what can you do? What can you do to make your church, to make the Lord's church, all that he wants it to be? I want you to be encouraged to pray about that. But the first thing you need to know is you need to recognize you're a sinner. You need to recognize that Jesus died for your sins. You need to recognize that you need to turn away from that sin. And friend, you need to recognize that you need to give your life to Christ. That's the first step to becoming a part of what Jesus wants his church to be. It's a church made up of sinners. Born again, forgiven sinners, prayerfully walking under the submission and surrender of the Holy Spirit. What can you do to make your church all that the Lord wants it to be? Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you so much for this wonderful blessing that you have provided for believers called the Church of the Living God. And Lord, I praise you and I thank you for the only sacrifice by which was made so that people can become part of the church.